I've been enjoying this series as we get a chance to um, read the prayers of Paul and uh, learning about his prayer life and trying to determine uh, if my prayer life and if our prayer life kind of lines up with him. Uh, we've uh, done two prayers to this point. Uh, Pastor Doug did one, and I did one last week. And both of those prayers that we um, spoke on were prayers that he was offering to the community, to the body. Uh, this one today is going to be a little bit different. Paul is going to be asking the body to be praying for him. And that's so encouraging. It's so needed, um, so needed today. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 15? Romans chapter 15. I want you to think about the fact that Paul may have been 60 years old at this time. Um, and in that time, I know 60 is young today for us, but uh, in that time, 60 would have been, oh, amen, right? <laughs> As I'm getting closer and closer to that number, yes. Um, but it, is, um, it was a, um, a time of ministry for him. He wasn't thinking about sitting back and retiring. He was sitting back and he was saying, I'm going on to my next missionary journey. He's making plans, and that's what he's going to be talking about here in Romans chapter 15. I entitled this message, Please Pray For Me. Please pray for me. Because I think, in essence, that's what Paul is asking for. I think what we're going to see this morning, as we look at this passage, that Paul starts by praising uh, this Roman church. He looks at qualities in this Roman church, and he says, I am praising God, not only am I praising God, but I'm praising you um, for what you have become. Second, he talks about the fact that he's a minister of the gospel to the Gentiles. That was his primary ministry. He talks about that ministry being by the power of the Spirit and for the glory of Christ. He, he talks about his plan, where he's going, and then finally he asks them, after he tells them all about his plans, he says, please pray for me. So this morning, would you pray with me as we begin? Lord, I, I pray this morning that you would open us to the wonder of your, your gospel grace. Father, thank you for the privilege to minister. Uh, thank you for the privilege to preach. Thank you for the privilege to teach. Thank you for the privilege to hear, as our congregants do today. So, Lord, I pray that you would open ears and open eyes and open hearts to the wonder of your gospel, the beauty of your name, the beauty of your son, the hope of the empty tomb, the hope of the future, and lives changed. For the glory of your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, would you look with me here in Romans chapter 15, and we'll look at verse 14 uh, to start off with, because Paul prays, praises the church in Rome. Verse 14, he says this, I myself am satisfied about you, brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct others. Paul talked about that he is satisfied. You know, that word could mean that you're persuaded, that he is convinced. He, is, he understands the truthfulness of the statement. There's validity here. I want you to know this. It's not simple flattery. He's not trying to flatter these people. What he's doing is he's offering them a sincere compliment. He is saying, I see something different in you. He is offering them a real assurance that I see your life and I see that there's been radical change. He praises this church for three things. And if you saw them, they came right um, out of here. The first one, he praises them for their character. He praises them for their character. You see here, he says, you are full of goodness. 
Goodness is this moral excellence. It's this, this quality. It's not stagnant. It's active. It's moving in your life. It's working itself out in your life. What he's doing is he's seeing that there's a goodness that is happening deep within. They're upright. They're kind. They're beneficent. There is something that is different about them. Remember the fruit of the Spirit? What is it? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And all of those qualities, he was seeing the Holy Spirit working in their life. And one of the qualities that he was seeing was primarily goodness. I could see your goodness. But Paul not only praises them for their character, he praises them for their cognitions, the things that they were thinking. He says that you are filled with all knowledge. He says that if I take everything together, all your perceptions and all the things I've discovered and all the things that you've learned, I hear that you are people of knowledge. You're filled with knowledge. See, to grasp the Christian Christian truth is so essential. We need to be able to know the gospel. We need to be able to love the gospel. We need to be filled with the gospel. And what Paul was seeing here is that this church was a church, not only good church, but it was a church that was filled with knowledge, full of goodness, filled with knowledge. It's interesting that he puts these two together because it's so important. You could be such a person that is filled with goodness, but have no truth. But I'm not actually sure you could be a good person without understanding the truth. And then you could be filled with truth, but no goodness. I'm not sure you could be a person full of truth without goodness. But a person that is going to have radical change in people's lives and God using us in vital relationships is a person that knows the truth and is a good person and is putting those two things together. He praises them for their character. He praises them for their cognition, but he praises them also for their capability. He says, you are able to instruct one another. Your version may use the word admonish. Admonish means to warn, to counsel, to direct. What he's saying is this, you have the ability to lovingly correct one another. It's one of the hardest things to do as an elder, as a pastor, as a counselor, to sit down with somebody and to help them to see that you're off course and you need to get on course, right? Well, these Roman believers were mature enough to do this admonition. They knew the truth. They knew the bonds of the fellowship of Christ. They loved people deeply. There was a goodness in their heart. There was a knowledge in their mind. And they were able to communicate that in such a loving way that people's lives were changed. That reciprocal ministry of brother and sister in Christ is so important. Iron sharpening iron, connecting with one another, discipling one another, growing one another becomes such an important element. So Paul praises this church because of their character and their cognition and their, char- and their ca- capabilities. I want you to consider this. Do you encourage people that way? Are there people in your life that you sit down with and you could say that I can encourage you spiritually? Do you know people well enough and have you been engaged in their lives deep enough that you know them and you could see changes? Can you say to somebody that, you know, I know four years ago you would have done this, but I see something different in your life over these last four years. That can only happen in vital relationships. And what Paul was saying is that this church is a grace church, an amazing church, because they had goodness, they had the truth, and they had the capability of helping one another. It takes character, it takes knowledge of godly things to enable people to warn, to instruct, to encourage one another. 
So I want you to consider two principles that I think I see from this verse. The first one is this, that the gospel is the only answer to humanity's deepest need. The gospel is the only answer that we need the gospel to change. We will not change, I've said it, by a building. We will not change by programs. We will change by the gospel being used in that building, the gospel in those programs, but more importantly, the gospel in your life. It's a gospel that needs to be known and treasured. It's the gospel's the only hope for humanity's deepest need. But there's a second principle I want you to consider. We need to be students of the gospel. We need to know the gospel. See, this church knew the gospel. This church believed the gospel. They loved the gospel. And Paul was saying, I see this in your life. I believe that. D.A. Carson said this, one generation knows the gospel, the next generation assumes the gospel, the following generation forgets the gospel. It's a great quote. Because we need to be able to know the gospel and we should be, as Paul talked about in 2 Timothy 2.2, we should be reciprocating this over and over. We should be duplicating ourselves. This church should go from this church to other churches, people going out to the mission field because there's something different in our lives and we're moving from here. So Paul talked first about the praise for the church in Rome. Second, Paul talked about the fact that he's the minister to the Gentiles, verses 15 through 16. He said this, but on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the gospel given by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul said, I am the minister to the Gentiles. And Paul was recognizing that he, first of all, had a graced ministry. You see the word here. God had graced him and brought him into this ministry. Paul, if you remember Romans 1.1, he had said that I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That Paul could see that he was graced, that his whole life was about grace, that grace was in his life and through his life and through his ministry. He didn't earn his ministry. He was a sinner. If you remember Paul's life, Paul was a uh, a terrible guy. I mean, it's like he was a Christian persecutor. He, He was a murderer in all likelihood. He jailed people. He hated the gospel. He tried to destroy the gospel. And now, by the grace of God alone, he's been called to the gospel. And by the grace of God alone, not only is he called to the gospel in forgiveness, but God says, I want to set you free in that gospel, and then I want to take you out there so that you become a minister of the gospel. He's a grace ministry. And Paul was overwhelmed by his grace ministry. The second thing he was overwhelmed by was the fact that he had a priestly ministry. Now, the priest of the Old Testament stood between the people and God. They, they acted as a mediator between God and the people. They interceded before God, to God, for the people. And then they offered sacrifices of worship in the Old Testament. Now, you know the Old Testament priests would bring a sacrifice, kill the sacrifice. The blood that was spilled would temporarily pass over the sins of the people. That you would bring that sacrifice and you would ask for your sins to be forgiven. Well, all the animals of the Old Testament that were killed would only partially 
take away the sin. Ultimately, it was looking forward to the great Lamb of God, the great high priest, and the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, one time on a cross, died, bled and died for every single person that was ever going to trust in him. So Paul, when he's talking about his priestly ministry, he's not talking about the fact that I'm going to offer a sacrifice for atonement. That's not what he's talking about. There was a second element of a priestly work, not only sin offering, but then there was this thankful offering, a gratitude offering, that you would bring a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God, a sacrifice of gratitude to God. And that's what Paul is envisioning. Paul is envisioning that I am going to be bringing a body of believers to you from the Gentile world, and I, as a priest, am going to offer that to you, God, as a sacrifice. So Paul saw his ministry as a graced ministry. Paul saw his ministry as a priestly ministry, but Paul saw his ministry as a purifying ministry. Paul talked about the fact that these believers, he didn't want to see people simply believe in Christ. He wanted to see them transformed into Christ. He wanted to see lives. He wanted to see men and women that, and boys and girls come into this faith because the preaching of the gospel message, he wanted to see that gospel message coming into their lives, that it was transforming their lives, and now they were going out by the power of the Holy Spirit. You remember the last time Paul used words like sacrifice in Romans 12? If you flip back, Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. You can hear the gospel there. Renewing of your mind and the testing, what you may discern, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and pleasing. Paul says, I am the minister to the Gentiles, and it's a grace ministry. It's a priestly ministry because I am bringing people who have come to faith in Christ, and now they are looking like Christ. It's a purifying ministry because you don't just simply get saved. You get transformed. You know, there are some churches today that will say that, you know, you just sign a card, raise your hand, pray a prayer, and the lives don't change at all. It's not the gospel. The gospel changes people. The gospel not only takes you from forgiveness, but it brings you to freedom. Don't be discouraged. I mean, this is, a, this is an up and down battle. Sanctification is not perfect for any of us. But I do want you to know this, that there should be change in your life. And if there isn't, get with somebody that can help you to grow in the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul wanted to see transformed lives. Paul recognized, thirdly, that there was the power of the Spirit And it was ultimately for the glory of Christ. Going back to Romans 15, verses 17 through 19, it's all by the power of the Spirit and for the glory of Christ. He says, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and by deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. The first thing that kind of got me here was that Paul talked about the fact that he's proud of his work. Proud of his work. Is that sinful pride? Is that bragging? 
that got me wondering, what is it that I brag about? What is it that I boast of? What do you boast in? See, the world boasts in earthly things. The world boasts in temporal things, but that's not what Paul is boasting. Paul is not boasting in earthly or temporal. Paul is boasting in what? The heavenly and the lasting. Paul is boasting in, in Christ. Paul is able to say that because of I'm in union with Christ, I am connected with Christ, that Christ lives in me, and Christ is working through me. That's where his glory comes in. So he could be proud of his work because he even turns the pride of his work to credit to God. He can't even take it for himself. He says, I'm proud of my work, but all the glory goes to God. It's amazing. Because he saw not only that he was proud of his work, he, the person behind his work was the Lord Jesus Christ. The person behind his work was the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave all the credit of the work to the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he being self-effacing here? No. He's actually being accurate. He's saying that if anything happens in your gospel ministry, it's because of Christ. It's his work. He died for us. He rose for us. He is interceding for us. And now he is drawing people by his Holy Spirit to him. It's all for him. So that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that it's about him. Many ministers today selfishly focus on themselves. All the pomp and ceremonies, the airplanes and all the things that they do. And they make it all about them. Second Timothy said this, they have an appearance of godliness, but deny the power. Avoid such people. So Paul saw that I'm proud of my work because it's all about Christ. The person behind my work is Christ. But he also understood that there's a power behind his work. And the power behind his work was the Holy Spirit. Gentiles were being saved. I want to see people saved. I want to see baptismal services here constantly, right? Why? Because it is God that transforms people's lives. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. These are pretty eloquent speakers here. I, I, I can't stand a candle to them. But all the eloquence does nothing to transform, right? They know the transforming work is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that works in people's lives and transforms people's lives and brings them to the gospel. He talks about signs and wonders and powers. I won't take time to talk about that as much today. I want you to consider this, that there are some ministries today that focus so much on signs, wonders, and spiritual powers. And my concern is this, that biblically, signs, wonders, and spiritual powers were primarily around the office ministries of proclaiming the gospel. And we see that happening in the Exodus with Moses because he was the prophet of the Old Testament. We see that happening in the life of Elijah and Elisha, prophets of the Old Testament. We see that happening in Jesus' ministry and his apostles sharing the gospel. There is a broad definition of miracles that is used there's so many miracles that happen today and God is active and working and I believe that God we we lay hands on people we touch people we pray over people for your healing we're called to do that as elders okay there's a broad miracle but then there's a narrow one that I think that Paul's talking about here and he's talking about in his ministry as an apostle there were specific 
signs, wonders that were there to confirm his apostolic ministry. And God, and he says that, you know, I saw people raised from the dead and that then they were open to hear the gospel. And that's what God does amazingly in people's lives and what he did amazingly in Paul's life. He, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for the glory of God and for the proclamation of the gospel, did miracles, wonders, and signs. But even there, Paul turned all confidence away from himself to whom? Christ. That's the other thing I'm concerned about today, that some people that perform these seemingly signs are making it about them and not about Christ. And that was nothing in the Old Testament or the New Testament. It was all about Christ. That even when these wonders happen, the glory goes to him. Not to this minister, but to the ultimate minister, Christ. So Paul knew that there was a ministry behind him. Paul said this in another passage. He said in 1 Corinthians 1, the wonders is that calling comes, brothers, not many of you should be wise according to your worldly standards. Not many powerful, not mere of wor- not uh, many of worldly uh, noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no man might boast in the presence of God. And he later on said, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He said in in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you a testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when I was with you, I was with weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and power. See, Paul knew that he was proud of his work because the person behind his work was the Lord Jesus Christ and the power behind his work was the Holy Spirit. Well, if our first principle was that the gospel is the thing that is needed by humanity and that we, number two, need to be students of the gospel, the third principle I want you to consider is this. The advance of the gospel in a person's life is the work of God and God alone. The advance of the gospel in a person's life is the work of God and God alone. And Jesus gave an interesting um, parable, and he talked about in Mark chapter 4, about a farmer that goes out and plants seeds and then goes to bed. And then he wakes up the next morning, and there's fruit that is there. He went to bed, and the fruit came. Why? I think in essence what he is saying is this, that God is the one that does the work. We're called to sow seed, but I can't make you believe. I can't make you change. God's going to do that work in your life. So praise for the Roman church. Paul, the minister to the Gentiles, power of the spirit and the glory of God, and now his plans, his plans for the future. Verses 20 through 29. Paul has some big time plans. He says this, he says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has um, where, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, he quotes from Isaiah, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. 
Paul made it his mission to go out and preach the gospel to those who have not seen him. Paul was a visionary. You know, the elders are going to be meeting a little bit later today. I'm going to be asking for you to be praying for our eldership. Um, We are not only praying as we talk about the building, but we're talking about ministry in the future and how we could um, minister in a different way. Our call as as elders is to provide opportunities for you to be equipped in the gospel. We want to equip you so that you can know the gospel and go out. So we want to try to figure out ways to do that. And we're going to be asking for your prayers as we meet together and envision and create plans. Well, Paul was a visionary. He, he says, I make it my ambition. I aspire to this. I have this cherished desire. I have these lofty goals. And what was his primary goal? I want to preach the gospel. That was his goal. That was his ambition. One pastor put it this way. He called it a holy ambition. Why was it a holy ambition? Because this world is full of people that have ambitions, right? Big houses, big cars, paychecks. They have a lot of ambitions to get married, to have children, a lot of ambitions. But his ambition was that people get saved and people get changed. That was his holy ambition. It's being where God wants you to be. Paul had a strategy, and Paul's strategy was this. I want to take the gospel where the gospel has not been preached, which is interesting. Paul didn't want to build on the ministry of others. The last thing we want here at the chapel is that we start sheep stealing. You ever heard of that? Sheep stealing is where, you know, we, oh, you hear about the ministry that's happening at the chapel, so now people are coming from other Bible-believing churches coming to the chapel so that they are going to be built in the faith. That's not what we want. If you're in a Bible-believing church and God has called you, be there. Nah. (laughs) But what, what we do want is this. We want to hear the gospel going out because we're living in a community of people that Believe it or not, when their church is around, they still don't hear the gospel. We want to see people saved and transformed. That was Paul's strategy. Now, Paul, it's kind of interesting here because Paul had gone from um, different lands here, and he's saying that I have covered the land. Now, Paul, are you kidding me? He's saying my work is done. Paul's work was done because primarily he was a pioneer. He was an urban evangelist. He figured it this way that he was going to go to the major city of that area, the center of those areas, plant a church there, and that that church would become a duplicating church and that they would go out to the other lands. So he would go to one city, I've done that, now I move to the next city, done that. Because he trusted that this congregation would be growing in faith and then duplicating itself out to others. So he was a pioneer. He was an urban alternative person. He was an urban person that went out into those cities and he shared the gospel. So what can I learn about that? What can you learn? Do you have a passion to be a pioneer? Do you have a passion to go to places and lands where people don't know the gospel and to share your gifts? And maybe that's a foreign land for some of us that are called to that. For some of it, the foreign land is right next door, my next door neighbor, that needs to hear that gospel is that. There are billions of people today that don't know the word. Uh, We sit in a county right now where we have thousands upon thousands of people that couldn't tell you what the gospel is. 
We have a mission field that is out there, and that leads to the fourth principle I want you to consider this morning. Our life's passion should be to spread the gospel to every person that has never heard it. Our passion should be to spread the gospel to every person that has not heard it. So Paul's original plan was to go to Rome, and he had been saying through this whole book that I've really been longing to come to you, but I've been hindered. He constantly talks about, I've been hindered, I've been hindered, I've been hindered. So now Paul has a new plan. Paul knows that in Jerusalem, there are a bunch of believers that are impoverished right now. They're in need. And Paul was in Macedonia and Achaia, and they have money. Now they're Gentiles. And they have money, and they want to share that money that they have with the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And Paul was acting almost like a deacon. Paul was taking the money from the Gentile believers to Jerusalem. Well, Paul, why are you doing that? Can't you leave that to somebody else? Well, Paul knew, and what I won't be able to get into, as you get a chance to read in Acts this week, in Acts um, 20 and following, you'll find that there was a struggle, actually 15 and following of Acts, uh, there was a struggle within the Jewish believing community in Jerusalem and the Gentile world. And the question was, is can somebody be brought into the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and not follow the Old Testament practices? And this became a struggle. You see this in the book of Galatians. You'll see this in Romans and you'll see this in Acts. And Paul says, this trip is so important, so important. This missionary trip, even at 60 plus years old, I need to go back to Jerusalem to take this because I need to try to bring this Gentile community and this Jewish believing community together in unity. So as I look out, I see different colors and different faces that are out there. And I want to be able to see more in this congregation that different people come together as one. That was what Paul's desire was. He wanted to help those that were impoverished, but he wanted to see the unity of the gospel. That was so important to him. And he didn't want to leave that to anybody else's hands. He was going to do that himself. So that leads me to a fifth principle I want you to consider this morning. We should financially support the advance of the gospel. We should financially support the advance of the gospel. I know some of you are struggling financially. I got it. But if you call this your home and if you are capable, I, I want you to know that everything that you have is God's anyway. And if this, you call this your home, I pray that you, first of all, would choose to be a, a member of this church, become part of our family, a covenant member of our family. And if you are part of the family, I, I pray that you'd be helping to support this church. But it's not only this church ministry. I think that's where you should be primarily if this is where your home is. But then secondarily, I want you to consider missionaries that are out there to help them. Ministries that are out there that are sharing God's word. And that, I think that that should be one of our financial goals to financially support the advance of the gospel. So Paul recognized the praise for these people. Paul said that I am the minister to the Gentiles. Paul recognized that it was the power of the Spirit and the glory of Christ. Paul had a plan for the future, but Paul finally said this. Will you please pray for me? It kind of blows my mind that the Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 books in the New Testament, is asking us as the Roman church to pray for him. But that's what he did. He says, verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, 
by our Lord Jesus and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by the will of God I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Well, he starts with this appeal. He says, I appeal. It's the same word that he used in Romans 12.1, which we were talking about earlier. He says, therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, in view of God's mercies. Uh, the New International Version says, I believe, I urge you. Uh, Holman's Version says, I implore you. It's all of this. It's this strong desire. I appeal to you. Please pray for me. But then he says, I don't want you just to simply pray for me. I want you to strive with me. What does strive mean? The Greek word talks about this idea of agonizing. It's like like an athlete that is straining forward. What he is saying is that I want you to strain forward in prayer for me. Prayer is a fight, guys. It's not easy. Do you think that Satan wants the gospel to go out and people's lives to be changed? He doesn't. We're in spiritual warfare here. Prayer is not easy. It's hard work. And Paul was saying, I want you to strive with me as we pray. He wanted you to be persuaded by this incalculable need that is out there. People need to know the word of God. He wanted you to be persuaded that you have access to the throne room of God. Your prayers go to the Father through Christ. He wants you to know that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be transformed and changed. He wants you to know that there's a caring Heavenly Father that is just waiting to hear your request. But Paul doesn't just say strive in prayer. He says strive together in prayer. I like this. Over and over, if you read in Pauline letters, Paul is asking for prayer because he was constantly aware of his desperate need for God. He said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 25, brothers, pray for me. He asked even more specifically, pray that the word would spread rapidly and that I would be glorifying God in this time of evil. You remember in the Philippian church, he was in prison and he says, pray that I be delivered from prison, but whatever the outcome is, even if I don't get out of prison, I pray that I bring glory to God. He asked the Ephesian believers and the Colossian believers, he says, I pray that I would be able to preach the gospel with boldness and clarity. He prayed for that, and he asked them to pray for him in that pulpit. We should strive together in prayer. There are two requests that he had. They're simple. The first one is rescue. He wanted to be rescued from harm. I want you to consider, and we may not pick it up, but Paul was the Jew of Jew, the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was the man, and God turned him away from that. He turned him to the gospel. And Jew, he was still a lover of the Jews, but he's now a proclaimer of the gospel. And that the Old Testament law would never save anyone. It just exposes sin. Paul wanted to see people hear the bad news, but hear the ultimate good news found in Christ. Now, the Jewish people saw him as a traitor to their faith. 
they saw him as one that was bringing people in that were defaming the gospel, defaming their, their religion. Paul was hated by others. There was a price on his head. He was in potential danger. So the fact that he is going back to Jerusalem, he knows there's a death sentence on him. But he went with boldness. And he says, pray that I be rescued. There's a second thing he said. I want you to pray that I be received. So you remember, the first part is that I have to get past the unbelieving Jews that want to kill me. The second part of my work has to be that the believing Jews that are in this church, I need them to come together with the Gentile believers so that there's unity. And his concern could be this, that this Gentile community puts money together to give to the Jewish community and that they would see it as a bribe. That they would see that, you know what, you're just trying to buy us off to bring these people in. And Paul says, I can't leave this to somebody else. I need to be the one to go. Even if it means my life, I need to be able to go. And I guess I wonder, is that me? Is that you? That's why Paul is saying, pray for me. Some people say, I don't want your charity. <laughs> D.A. Carson also said this, it takes as much grace to receive some gifts as it does to give them. It's another great quote. So your prayers are, are not useless. Your prayers, as James said, are effective. Your prayer is absolutely necessary. Your prayer is difficult. You're going to be striving but prayer is commanded by God. So did Paul get it? I think he did. Paul said this at the end. By the will of God, I come to you with joy. Be refreshed. I was thinking of um, Matthew chapter 11. You remember the passage Jesus said, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden and what will I do? I will give you rest. I read that passage anew for, for the first time recently. I probably should have caught this. I don't know why. What's the next verse say? He says, take my yoke upon you. What's a yoke? Yoke is an instrument of work. And then you learn from me. So what Paul was saying was, what Jesus was saying was this, and I think Paul's saying the exact same thing. To have real rest, you have to get to work learning from Christ. See, real rest doesn't come from passivity. Real rest comes from work and learning and growing and changing. And that's what Paul said, I am going to have joy and refreshment because I'm going to be at work. So Paul saw his life as a hindered life. I can't get to you guys. But if you read the end of Acts, Acts chapter 15, uh, 28, verses 15, it seems that he was received. The gift was received. But Paul got to Rome in the way that he would never expect it. How did he get to Rome? In chains. That God says, I'm going to take you to Rome, Paul, but I'm going to take you by chains. Can I read one last verse to you before I give you my last principle? In Acts the very last verse in Acts, I love this, because Paul has been constantly talking about, I've been hindered, I've been hindered, I've been hindered, I've been hindered. Listen what it says in verse 30 and 31 of Acts. 
he lived there two years in Roman imprisonment for two years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. Get it. With all boldness and without hindrance. Can you imagine? He is in chains, but he's not hindered. That's amazing to me. Because he did not look at those chains as imprisonment. He used looked at those chains as opportunity. Oh, Lord, I thank you for that. That leads to the sixth principle I want you to consider. We should pray for those who preach and teach and share the gospel. Whether it's on a mission land or in a pulpit here or in a Sunday school class, your kid's Sunday school teacher, you should be praying for those that preach and teach and share the gospel. Do you pray for your pastors? We desperately need it. Do you pray for your eldership? I pray you do. So what are those six principles? The gospel is the only answer to humanity's need. Two, we need to be students of the gospel. Three, the advance of the gospel in a person's life is solely the work of God. Four, our life's passion should be to spread the gospel to all those who have never heard of its wonderful truths. Five, we should financially support the advance of the gospel. Six, we should pray for those who preach and teach and share the gospel. So I want you to evaluate your own life. I want you to evaluate, because I'm going to ask the elders as well, can we evaluate our ministry? You know, Paul, if you look at Romans 15, Paul began the chapter by talking about the fact that don't be pleasing yourselves, Romans 1, 15, 1 through 3. Is this ministry about pleasing ourselves or about pleasing others and pleasing God? He said in Romans 15, 4, that it should be a ministry grounded in the word of God. Is this ministry grounded in the word of God? Third, he talked about a fellowshipping aspect, verses 5 through 7 of chapter 15. We should be having deep unity, accepting one another, Jew and Gentile coming together, black and white, Hispanic coming together as one. This should also be an evangelizing ministry. We've just seen that in verses 14 through 23. It should be a ministry that is out there to help people in need, that are impoverished and in need. And it also should be a praying ministry. So that I have one finger out, three fingers are pointing back to me. Is that our ministry here today? Lord, I pray that you would remind us of the wonder of the gospel of Christ. Lord, I thank you for the fact that the gospel is the only answer to humanity's deepest need. Lord, help us to know the gospel. Help us to love the gospel. Help us to be a student of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to make it the advance of the gospel in our lives, but to recognize that the advance of the gospel is your work primarily and solely. We are just instruments in your hands. Help us to be used by that. Father, give us a passion to spread the gospel to those who have never heard the wonders of the beauty of the gospel. Father, for those of us that are able, help us to financially support those who are spreading the gospel. And Father, help us never to be lacking in praying for those that share the gospel. Whether it's a Sunday school teacher for our kids or the Sunday school teacher that teaches us as adults 
or the pastor that stands in the pulpit, or the missionary on the foreign land. Give us that opportunity. Lord, I pray for those that are here today that have never trusted in your son. I pray that they would recognize that the gospel changes lives. I pray that they would see their deep need for you, Lord Jesus. I pray by your spirit you would draw them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.